sang this song to me There was a message in his melody Sweetest lyrics that I ever heard There's a message in the songs of birds Tomorrow is another day Living is the only way Tomorrow's gonna ever come Listen to the words of the song Stephanie Wilson Coleman, known as the Empowerment Doctor, and joining me today is Philip D. Montgomery, LPC PhD. He's got lots of fancy letters behind me. <laughs> I tell you, I'm all. I love it. I think it's absolutely fantastic that you find people who look like us in every field imaginable. So I want to thank you to begin with for the work that you've done and the work that I know that you're going to do in the future. Thank you. <laughs> So I want to do a little bit of housekeeping. Um, as you all know, I have my little um, sponsor. I love my sponsor. I sponsor, sponsor every show. So I want to say thank you to Rise. When you need a supply company to rise to your needs, call Resource Industrial Supply and Equipment. Uh, you know, if you're watching this, you can watch this on my social media, Facebook, YouTube. Uh, luckily, we're on a different platform, so you can see me both on my personal page and my business page. So that's absolutely fantastic. And when you get a moment, go over to champagneconnection.com. There's merchandise and a bunch of free stuff to help you live the life that you dream about so that you can get busy living your dreams too. So with that being said, thank you, Philip. I appreciate you uh, agreeing to be on my show. See, Philip didn't know me long before this, but Found out what he did, and I stalked him. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you. Uh, As everyone knows, I do believe that everyone, everyone should have a mental health professional, just like you have a regular private doctor, just like you have a dentist, just like you go to the gym. I think all of the parts of this human body need need a checkup, need a tune-up. So I appreciate you doing that. So let's get started. So tell us about yourself. Well, uh, I am a licensed professional counselor, and uh, that is something that I've been doing for about 14, 15 years now. Um, I started because of an issue that I was going through. Uh, My mother passed away while she was on vacation, and uh, I think it was just... It sent me to a place with my grief that I was really struggling to uh, process. And when it happened, I did some things that weren't quite so healthy. And a friend of mine reached out and said, you really need to talk to someone. And I said, talk to who? And she said, "You you just need to find somebody that can listen to you and offer you the support that I think you need because you're just headed down a path that's not gonna be really good. So I took this advice. Of course, I fought it at first. Boy, did I fight it. I would make appointments. I would cancel them. I would make appointments. I wouldn't show up. And then finally I went and I got an opportunity to start exploring the issues I was having with grief. Uh, While talking about that, I found out that I also had some issues with anxiety and depression. I wasn't happy with what I was doing for a living. Um, It gave me an opportunity. This person was almost like a coach as well. I got back, I went, I had an MBA and I went back and got an MA, uh, changed careers. That's when I got into the counseling field, found that I really was passionate about the work and helping people and seeing change. And I've never looked back. I keep trying to learn as much as I can so that I can help as many people as I can. And I appreciate that you did that for us. And here's, and you're a great example of leading by example. Because uh, we all experience some level of grief and just don't get any counseling for it. And I know losing a mother and then I lost a child. Mm-hmm. Those are some just difficult things to get over easily. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about, you know, I've got a list of questions. Those who know me know I already have a list of questions. <laughs> okay, <All right>. so, <laughs> so you can tell I went to a school where they, requ- they required <laughs> <laughs> 
I was able to tell by now that I had parents that would uh, <laughs> lead in corporal punishment if I didn't follow the rules. So rules, I, that's right. There you go. Right. So I'm prepared. So we've talked about why you became a mental health therapist just briefly, but what else about this profession fills you up, appeals to you? I think for me, it was when I started seeing uh, that I, I noticed I just couldn't find a lot of people that look like me. Uh, when I was looking for a grief counselor, I tried to find an African-American male um, because I was going through some things that I thought would be better explored with a man and a man that probably understood culturally what I was dealing with uh, and why I was fighting it too, because a lot of it was trauma, but that's a whole other issue too. And I just couldn't, I just didn't see people who look like me. And once I graduated, what I found was the people I worked with were so appreciative to see that there was a Black man doing it. And I noticed that I was being received. I didn't always, a client and I, we may not always come to this place where things are perfect and the client is healed and moved on. But at the same time, I noticed that a lot of the clients were just happy to see a face that looked like this. And what keeps me going is the fact that I deal with a lot of men who I don't believe would talk to someone if they couldn't find a person who looked like them. I'm sure. I'm sure now that people will see this and actually see a Black man that does this. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that that's going to help also. So what mental health areas do you treat the majority of the time? So what are the, some of the more common things? And then what are some of the not so common things? And then, then there's the strange area too. So, <laughs> so the more common things are truly based, uh, since the uh, majority of my clients are African-American, are, ba are based around uh, racism and the trauma uh, associated with that. So a lot of what I deal with is just helping people manage truthfully day to day. Uh, in getting through their jobs, getting through life, microaggressions, things that are happening out there in the world that they're noticing and feeling because of their African-American, that they don't feel are being addressed in their workplace. They can make statements and say that something is being done, but a manager or supervisor won't see it the same way because they don't have the same cultural uh, background and understanding. I think that's a lot of where my practice is. And the community-based trauma is another big issue. So I deal with a lot of young men, let's say between the age of 18 and maybe 35. And a lot of them, believe it or not, have experienced so much loss that in some ways they're, they're numb to a lot of what's going on out there. And that kind of carries through into their relationships. So they're distant from girlfriends, boyfriends, friends, uh, have very, very, very surface level uh, relationships. They're typically, they're fixed on work and making sure that they're successful. That's the only thing that they can see as kind of that pat on the back that they need. Well, if you haven't been making an emotional connection for about 15 years, and all you've been doing is earning money, um, then you develop some other bad habits, process addictions, where in order to reward yourself, you're spending all this money. Perhaps you're buying and paying for too much porn, prostitution, eating out too often, just things that aren't healthy because truthfully, your emotional tank is empty. So a lot of what I'm dealing with is trying to help reconnect some of the African-American males to just this emotional place that they closed off. And boy, once you get in there and you can get the gentleman to start talking about when they were let down in their lives, I'd never imagined until I started doing this job and have been abused and molested um, in, in a very early age and have managed to hide it and push it down like, like they were drowning something uh, for all these years. I've had gentlemen who just sit and cry because they have not been able to talk about this, these traumas. And of course, society has told them that there's something wrong with them if they feel they have a mental health concern. 
So educating is a big thing that I like doing. I do add humor to the work that I do because if it's too serious during every session, it, it can wear out a person who's never done it before. There's some what I call veterans who've been doing it. And like you said, they know they need the maintenance. Then there's a different way you can do that kind of therapy. But when I first meet a client, I can tell by looking at them, especially because now we're doing a lot of things by Zoom, that they just don't know what to expect. And they're frozen because they're afraid that I'm going to look in this camera and see something that they have been hiding for <laughs> since they were two. And I'm going to pull it out after five minutes. So I have to get them to the point where they are able to have a conversation. That could take a couple of weeks sometimes. But then finally, when they see that I, I don't have a wand and I'm, you know, I'm not waiting to have any kind of revelations, mm -hmm. that gen genuinely we start to talk and we can get in there and kind of figure out a path towards what's going on and then a path towards a way to fix it or work on it. When you work with men who've uh, experienced sexual molestation or sexual mm -hmm. abuse, um, generally, how do they find you and what are some steps that you take to make them feel comfortable? Uh, usually in my practice, you know, I help people get their life back as far as professionally and financially, you know, mm -hmm. and I find that that comes up too. So it's, it bleeds over in every area of your life. I don't know how people think they can keep it secret for long because if you're taking a deep dive you can see it so how do you how does that come up and how do you what are some of the things that you say that will make them feel comfortable enough to continue to discuss it well i try to so the way that i guess that i've advertised it kind of indicates that i work with male issues okay and um i've learned over these years that when I first meet a client, especially an African-American male, because I don't know exactly what the issue is, but I, I'm almost willing to bet a dollar that there's some trauma in there. So it's like I, I present myself as a person who's there to listen and that they don't have to declare anything at first. Let's just get to know each other. I want them to feel that it's a fit. So first they have to feel comfortable talking to me First, I want them to feel that I'm there listening because I've heard clients say in the past they've worked with therapists who have had a baseball game on and they could hear it while the person was looking at them and talking to them. And that means that they can't be focused on what the person, the client is saying. So I just try to make the client comfortable. Now, there's also just when you start hearing how they've developed, when you hear things, for me, they kind of give signals. I can tell like, um, what was their childhood like? What was it like when they were an adolescent? You know, if I hear certain things like the parent wasn't around, they were always out. Um, there was really early substance use. Then I start to circle in and ask, you know, well, how did you get all the marijuana you were using? And we talk about that, but I don't make it so that it feels judgy in any way because I realized that even though that wasn't the thing to do, that might've been the only way they could cope with what was going on. And I have worked with some males where the sort of abuse that we're talking about, the sexual abuse, when they start to talk about it, they can't even look at me and they have to, either turn to the side or I had one gentleman who literally turned around so that his back was facing me so he so that he could tell me about the first incident and get it out and it took a while I mean months before he was able to comfortably turn around and really talk about what happened and then to have to understand that the person who had committed this offense he still had to see almost every two or three months because he was a member of the family. And anytime they had a family uh, event, he was the first person there. And he said that it has been like he lives this nightmare where just as he comes out of the dream, he's pushed back down into it because there's Thanksgiving, there's Christmas, there's Mother's Day. So he's constantly in this place where he has to see the person that did it. And it took us a while to get to the place where he felt comfortable enough to begin thinking about confronting this man 
and sharing with him what he was going through. Well, uh, just my soul and heart goes out to him mm -hmm. and to you for the work that you do, because that's heavy work. So. Um, so I know that there are different systems that you follow. Mm -hmm. You mentioned mm -hmm. process addiction. So give us an idea of how grief therapy, family systems, and strength-based systems work. And you also uh, handle mindfulness in your in your practice. Mm -hmm. so, well, so. I'll connect them in a different way. Mindfulness is kind of the mindfulness kind of CBT thing uh -huh. is is primarily the bulk of what I do. So okay. I try to bring people to this a place of awareness of today, because even no matter how horrific something was that happened in the past, I still need to get the client to feel that there's something to look forward to today. Mm -hmm. And I try to give um, that kind of hope because many clients come with this hopelessness. I mean, when you look at them, you can already tell that they they just feel so actually disposed of that they're barely able to hold a conversation. So I've got to get them into enjoying today and you know what how do they like this job? Can we talk about interviewing for a new job? Just things that kind of get them into seeing that there there's hope. I try to give a certain amount of homework. That's the CBT part. So my version of homework is typically I realize people don't exercise. So I try to find things that are simple. Nothing, you know, I'm not going to tell you to go join the gym because 99% of us know that that fee is just spent and we say we have a membership, but we, could, we couldn't even tell you what color the inside of the place is. So I try to get them to go for a walk. If they can't go for a walk, I try to get them to, to stretch when they're in the kitchen, lean against the sink while they're washing the dishes and stretch back, and push back and pull up. And I try to get them to breathe and I try to get them to think about things that they want to do. What do they want to do in the future? What's a goal we can work on? So just getting people to try to rise up out of this quagmire that life has, has sucked them down into. And it's, it's so easy to get caught in this position where you're being pulled down because so many things happen. And especially for African-Americans, we are not afforded the luxury of a break. So in our, in, for us, we've been told that we have to keep going, push on, push on, push on, push on. And that was my struggle when my mother passed. When my mother passed, there was no pushing on. I had to, I had to take a break. And then unfortunately, or fortunately, I was in a position where I took one for about five years. So it was like, you kind of think to yourself, what happens to people who have to keep going? So that's why I try to use the mindfulness. I try to get them to see that the, today can be great. Then from there, I do, through my conversations, identify their strengths because we all have something we're really good at. If I hear that, you know, you're good at journaling and you like writing, because typically that's how I find out. Do you like writing? Do you like reading? If I hear you like reading, then I know probably you wouldn't mind writing. So again, here I'm slipping the CBT part back into it. Mm -hmm. I'll tell them to start journaling. Let's not, we don't have to journal about every day, but why don't we journal about things that you want to do? Because I try to bring the good part in before we really dig into the part that's going to hurt. Because they need to be comfortable with the fact that they know I'm there. I don't want to say to catch them, but they know that I'm not there just to make them leave the session and feel horrible. So some mm -hmm. days I want to hear, you know, how many pounds did you lose that from the walking? And they're three. Great. We'll stand there and clap and sit down. Some days we talk about the fact that you can't even get your husband to touch you. And we talk about how that feels. So it's kind of when you talk about the, the, the styles, it's a little bit of everything. And family <laughs> systems. Uh, it depends on... <laughs> It depends on how many characters are involved because you might just have a husband and wife. You might have a husband and wife and a daughter. And nowadays, you might have a husband and a wife and a girlfriend. So you have to look at what that family, what that family is to that person. Sometimes it's a triangle. Sometimes it's just a dyad. Sometimes it's 10 people. And then when you're dealing, especially I found with males, you need to know the order of birth. 
So are they the first child, the second child, the last child? Are they the child of somebody found out about 20 years after the other? So you have to understand how they fit in because the system, you know, is 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 fueled by this energy that's coming into it. Well, it depends on where you are in the system and the role you play. And then that's how we look at the output. So if you see that the mother has always been the type of person who was trying to, she had a, a personality and the father did not. He took on a more feminine role, which was unusual. But if you didn't know that and you just assumed that they had the traditional roles, you wouldn't understand why the mother was always yelling and telling them what to do. But once you find out that this woman has always been this way and they've learned, you know, to allow it to happen and nobody has ever really said, let's try it, mom, a different way, because I don't always want to be called an a-hole whenever I don't do something. So it's kind of just getting them to this place where we're understanding the hierarchy and we are trying to put some healthy processes in place so that when they have conversations they are comprehending the communication they're not just talking at each other yelling at each other throwing things at each other they're actually listening now you, you might find out in a, in a family systems type way that some of the family they just simply don't like each other well, you have to figure out a way to still get the system to work in spite of the relationships. So that is a practice. Anybody who goes into family systems is going to really enjoy the richness because a lot of what's going on with each of us as an individual, the best way to really see what's happening is if you can work with the family because that will give you the answers that you need to do some of your best work. So I have been reading a lot of articles about family systems. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, and some of them have have surprised me. You know, I had one son and we were, that was like my buddy, right? So, and then I find out that there are people who don't like their children. That's right there. And I says, how does that happen? Oh, and, you, and how do and- you fix that? And then, then, you know, sometimes I had a situation where basically the children wanted the mother to admit that she preferred one child over the other. And the woman did her best not to say it. And her husband said something that I hadn't heard since Sanford and Son was on TV. And he looked at her and he said, they want to know. They want to know the truth set you free and he said it in such a way where i really do that man man i i know who it is you know who it is they want to know who it is so she finally explained and it was kind of what you described it wasn't her firstborn but the second born child i think she had had <clears throat> she'd had some difficulties while she was pregnant and she took off longer from work and she spent a lot more time around this child and it took a lot more to get this child to this place where the child was healthy now that child did turn out to be the larger jerk in the group but at the same time once the woman explained their relationship and what she had been through i think sometimes people think it's something really difficult that you need to hear Sometimes it is just the simple God's honest truth. And the truth was she'd had a difficult pregnancy, a difficult birth. She thought a lot of different things were going to happen. And she just said probably she put more into it than she realized that she was. And she said she would try to do better. Now, uh, you know, but at the same time, at least they got the answer they wanted and needed, I should say. Well, my mother assured me that I was her favorite oldest child. She assured my sister that she was her favorite youngest girl. She was only two girls. So <laughs> my brother under me was her favorite oldest boy. And, the brother un- and my youngest brother was her favorite youngest child because he was the youngest child, right? Well, so. they, she handled it the right way. My parents always told me, they both would say you are my favorite, but I'm an only child. So it wasn't <laughs> like that. It wasn't like there was a whole lot that I had to worry right. about. So it's just it's it's really just an interesting, 
it's an interesting tech tool to use. I'll just put it that way because you learn a lot about you as the as the provider because of course you're whatever you thought was the problem typically is not the issue. You have to wait until you can really dig in there for a minute. So you we started off by talking about some of the challenges African American males uh, face in the community. So what are some of those challenges that make that work their way to you? Um, a lot of them are based on a combination of things. I think there's so much crime and there's uh, the loss and the grief has hardened these men and the depression and the anxiety. And then the system, their family, friends, work, they start telling them that they're angry and that they're mad and that they're angry and that they need to talk to somebody. So that's typically how they wind up with me. They wind up because they've been they've been told that they're angry and they need to talk to somebody. And and yeah, they do start off snapping half the time. But by the time we get they start off angry. <laughs> they are angry. Okay, okay. First, first of all, I think they're angry because they don't want to pay. And then I think they're angry because they have to be there. Um, but a lot of it is depression. A lot of it is, again, that community-based trauma. You've been, it's like you've been in a prize fight all your life and you've gotten to the point that you don't even feel the punches anymore. Um, a lot of them are just going through the motions of life. And the sad part is many of the younger ones don't even have a view of life beyond, I'd say, 45. They, if you listen to how they talk about their future, they begin to even shut down their dreams at about 35 to 40. And I have to constantly say, well, you know, I'm older than that and I still have dreams. So you have to have a few too. And it's just getting them to use the voice that society has told them that when they hear it, it indicates something negative. I want them to know that their voice is powerful and I listen to it. And I make sure that the ones that are doing amazing things, I had a gentleman who had just been promoted to a senior vice president. And I said, well, did you tell your family yet? No. Well, how come? Well, you know, they really don't want to hear it. I, I said, no. I said, do you, do you need me? To, you need to give me a number and sign a release so that we can call your house and tell everybody that you just been promoted. So when he came back, he was smiling. And I said, now, okay, so I know something happened. He said, yeah, I told everybody. They told my mother and they told my mother. And because he'd just been told for so long that his value was just this paycheck. And that people weren't watching the fact that emotionally he was, he was shrinking. And he was at this place where he was such a tight little nugget because all he thought he had was, okay, the mortgage is paid, the car notes are paid, there's food in the house. It wasn't what he wanted to do. We started talking. I asked him what kinds of things, you know, had he been interested in. He started talking about he wanted to go out on more date nights, but his wife was always engaged with her friends. We worked out a way for him to, you know, not disturb her because, of course, she had her routine, but to get her, you know, on the same page where they were communicating and making plans and doing stuff. And you could literally see this man begin to lighten up. He went from crying every other week to every now and again, he was laughing. Then he started smiling. Then I didn't have to coach out of him, you know, what are you going to do this weekend? He would come with his list of places because they dated, they went out on a date night every week. He would come with a list of places and he would ask me if I'd been to him and what I thought. And he'd tell me about the reviews because now he felt he was being heard. And once I think he realized that he had a voice and it was okay to use it. He would say, I've stopped all that yelling and stuff because I realized the only person that was hurting was me. So now, of course, everybody's listening because they're not afraid that he's just yelling. They know that he is really has something to say and he doesn't feel he has to yell in order to be heard anymore. Oh, that is fantastic. You tell him I don't even know him and I'm happy about oh this this dude is amazing yeah no, he just 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 made my world it's like that's fantastic and there are more and more and more black men who need to know about it because black men need to see that there's someone that looks like them that's actually making it 
and they need to see that they have value and they need to see that it's not just from the tasks they do it is also the everything they bring to the table consistency the love they bring i mean to go to this job every day and as he said to turn over this check to this woman that he never even sees how much it is that's that's love and then to keep doing it and keep doing it. And he would and when he would we would laugh because he would talk about by the time we got through talking about the various games he had to attend and how much this costs and that costs. I said, My God, what do you do for you? He said, I just try to keep up with this stuff. He said, because the kids are always doing something and they're always going, Daddy, Daddy. And I said, But don't you hear it? They want to be around you. Yes. You just have to get to this place where you want to be around you too. Yeah. Yes. And it's amazing. He'll just be incredibly surprised how much the kids really want to be around him. I know Down the road, father, definitely. Yeah. My father used to say, you know, I was always told, I was always led to believe that it's the boys that mimic you and you have to watch watch the boys in your clothes. He says, but it's my two girls and he's still in my t-shirt. Is <laughs> trying to mimic me? Right. Yeah, it's nothing like the father figure. It really is. Nope. So what do you consider to be the top three strengths and weaknesses as a therapist? Uh listening. I know it changes. Okay. So yeah, listening, listening is number one. Um being able to show a certain amount of empathy is really important in the practice that I have because I work so much with men who I don't think they've even felt like a person has cared for most of their life and definitely not being judgmental, you know, so no matter what you bring in there into therapy, um, a a good therapist and I, and I, and I try my best to be one, you have to make sure that no matter what you hear and you're going to hear some things that you don't have any judgment. You know that this person is coming to you for some support as they work towards goals. Mm -hmm. So for me, those are the three most important things. Um, My biggest challenge is trying to help people see that there is a light. Um, Because depending on the age of the person and how damaged they, they, the damage that they've suffered through the trauma throughout their lives, it's kind of hard for them to believe. And getting some people out of this place of hopelessness, um, sometimes it just doesn't happen. Um, you just get them to a place where they can maintain. And even though they feel hopeless, uh, you, you keep them from spiraling down to this place where they might even begin to feel suicidal. So sometimes I think that's my biggest challenge, just trying to bring hope to people where it's just been gone for so long. So do you have a preference from working with children, adults, or families, if you could pick your sweet spot? I think my sweet spot is is African-American males over, okay. oh, between 16 and however, I think that's yeah, I think that's my sweet spot. But there's just certain things that I enjoy about each one. So families are just interesting because you just never know what you're gonna get. You really, I mean, it is a it is it's the gift that keeps on giving from the minute you sit down, even no matter how horrible the story, it's never what you it's not what they said it was when they wrote in on that intake form. It has nothing to do with that half the time. Um, and I think working with adolescents is something that I like, especially the African American young men who may not have been exposed to a father or be in a, in a very healthy, supportive uh, environment. And it's me helping them, coaching them to believe in themselves. I mean, I feel like, you know, I'm about to perform from the whiz, but it's like, I, I need to help them see their value. I think of the skills that I have, I've been through a lot myself. So I try to make sure that people see that life is long. And you will have hills and valleys keep moving. It averages out 
and it, you're a winner more often than you are a loser. So just try to keep pushing. That is so true. I think we are stuck on all the bad things and we easily forget the good things and the joys that we have. Yes. And I, yeah. And I ask people, if you don't write anything down, just record what happened, something good that happened. Mm -hmm. That stuff we easily forget. Because the other stuff is just so traumatic and heavy to carry. And we do forget that some there is some good. There's been some good in this life. And I think people, and that's really the, the good way you put it, to carry. I think a lot of, especially since the pandemic, I think a lot of people have been carrying a burden um, of just finding themselves or realizing that who they are. And trying to carry that alone for the last two years has really brought out some things in people, it, anybody, white, black, tall, short. It has just been a time where they've really had a chance to look at that man in the mirror. And, and many people have realized they don't like what they see. That is so true. Uh, as we were talking before uh, we went live, I think the universe has given us a great big time out. It says mm -hmm. you have run away from yourself and all your issues for far too long. You are going to sit home and think about this stuff. And you are going to sit with that person <laughs> that everybody else has said they were tired of. Right. So now you sit in that, you know, because the laughter that I heard on a, on a TV show was when a teacher said, I guess the parent was upset because they were homeschooling now that the pandemic and how difficult it was. And the teacher just finally said, well, now you see what I have to deal with every day. And when I call you and I tell you they're talking too much, you tell me it's my problem. Well, now they're at home with you. So how come you can't get them to stop talking? And I said, well, poor woman probably lost her job after she said that, but she probably been waiting God knows how long to say that. <laughs> yeah, and I, I laugh because I remember I was one of those kids that talk all the time. In class. <laughs> oh, I was no, I was. I'm sure, boy. <laughs> and they just couldn't figure out how to shut me up. And finally, a teacher figured out something for me to do, and that like kept me busy. It was like I think it was a telegram from God. I'm sure they were all praying for answers. I, I can remember I I spent so much time cutting out those borders for those bulletin boards. Uh -huh. I think that I, was the thing that they decided <laughs> was my task. And a few other kids, we worked on the book. When it got to be too much, there's at least one bulletin board somewhere in there that can be oh, redone. Right. <laughs> So, so if parents listening just know it's not the new millennial children. Okay. No. Oh no. It, it's just the life. Baby home. boomers. Yeah, right. it's just life. It's, it's just all life, of us. Right? Trust me. So and because I know as I was one of those kids, my heart goes out to the parents and the teachers. So so when people come to you and say, do they actually say, I, you know, say, I would come and say, look. I've been at home with me for two years and I don't like what I see. What can we do? I would say that, right? But what do people say when they come in and they're really there because they learned they didn't like themselves. They didn't like who they were oh, sitting with. Do they, uh, do they own up this, to that? Yeah, this, oh. <laughs> this last, oh my God, about a year ago, yeah, a guy literally said, um, I'm working from home. I'm doing everything from home. I was washing my clothes and I saw my reflection in the glass on the dryer. And I realized the way I sounded on a conference call. And he said, I looked at myself and I thought about what I said. He said, you know, it just wasn't nice, but it really wasn't. He said, but it wasn't necessary. He said, but now I can see why I don't have many friends. He said, nobody has really called me since I've been at home during this pandemic. <laughs> and that's what I mean when people have finally had a chance to go, okay, so now I see what people don't like. It's just because it's it's they've been telling you all along. You just haven't been listening. And now that you're with the person all the time, husband, wife, children, mother, mother-in-law, you now know, okay, no, we really don't get along. And I need to I need to do something and make some changes. But that's good because I think a lot of that's happening. We just don't like ourselves. Yeah. But we we society kept us so busy 
so you didn't, you never had an opportunity to really sit with yourselves. People were just not even meditating. They were just getting up, doing the day all over. Well, I'll say this. I don't know if society kept us busy or we could make that choice to be too busy. And I think oh, I what think, I think we made that choice. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I think what happened during the pandemic was the lockdown, you know, because we're not accustomed to being told no. A lockdown is the ultimate no. It's like telling you, well, you can come out, but there's really no place to go. Or you can come out and take a chance and get sick and there won't be any, definitely won't be any place to go. You know, so you need to stay in the house. And as we got into the routine in the beginning, it was like, oh, I don't have to go in that office. I don't have to get dressed. We're doing, Zoom wasn't that big yet. We're doing Zoom. Where's my shirt at? I don't even have to worry about anything other than this shirt. That's and, right. You know, so they're sitting there doing these calls, doing a little work, taking a nap, making breakfast, making another pot of coffee. Then, then we get to the place where we start ordering everything. So, oh, Instacart. Oh, my God. I don't even have to go to the grocery store now. So here comes the food. It's coming. So not realizing you're at home more and more and more and more and more. One day you realize, dang, I have not been outside in a couple weeks oh and then you start looking outside and there's nobody out there and you haven't been called by anybody but like your real close family and you can't visit anybody so you are really there with just you and truthfully your thoughts and a lot of times we talk about it in you know in the mental health world about people hearing voices there's nothing like being alone to amplify any sort of voice that you're hearing, whether it's your own voice or whether it's the TV or whether you've looked in the mirror and now it's a year into COVID and you've picked up a friendly 25 pounds that joins you to keep you company. And you're looking at them and you're not liking how your friends look. And you, you know, you're just, again, all the stuff we talked about before, hopelessness begins to set in. Mm -hmm. When is this pandemic gonna let up? When can I touch somebody? Imagine if you're single and you can't date, you're single. You can't, you know, what if you were the person that traveled around and had many admirers and, and, and slept with many different people throughout the week and the month? Now you've got two years. We, it's a risk to have a sexual encounter with somebody that you don't know. So you're not even able to get that sensory uh, nourishment that you're used to getting. So a lot of what started happening, I think, is that people just began, again, to get smaller and smaller and smaller because they just didn't see any opportunities for a way out. Okay. Uh, you're right. I I guess I'm the odd one. I, I enjoyed the downtime. I started a garden. <laughs> I always said I would if I had time. Guess what? I had time. But but see, you were probably making healthy choices even before. Like there's a lot of people that I've worked with that did a lot of stuff like that. Um, one woman said she was sitting down watching TV and she said to her husband, I should learn how to play the harp. And he said, don't you order that harp? Well, of course. Once he told her not to order it, you know darn you well she ordered it. So I went to a fundraiser and there she was playing the harp. Now that COVID is over, she has learned to play the harp. She said it was one of the best things because when she got tired of listening to him, she'd just go in the room and start strumming on the harp. So it's it, it really gave you an opportunity to make a change. A lot of us, it was time to be reinvented anyway. We were doing things that we weren't happy with. Look at how many people have changed professions during the last two years. They, I mean, there was a lot of people that woke up and said, one, we've been at home. We, I, I don't need to make this kind of money, really. And I can't stand this job. So let me try to find something while I'm home. And right. then they were finding, wow, I don't even have to take a pay cut, but I can find something that I like doing. I'm tired of being micromanaged. Wow. I found yeah. a job where they have told me I don't have to worry about that. So a lot of people have made some really healthy discoveries that have, that's why I say when you, when you said it was a timeout, it was a necessary but needed long overdue just reset that's what it was yeah and i don't think we could have i don't think most of us would have reset if it was um, no no a certain amount of time we needed that two years and that uncertainty because then you finally you do finally 
focus on, you know, what I, what am I going to do? Um, I guess, you know, I even, I always wanted to start back to hiking and I started before the pandemic, but I just kept on. It was wonderful. Um, and, and a lot of people really had a chance while they were home to see what the ridiculous looked like. Right. So much was going on in the political arena right. that you were also trying to save yourself. That's so, you right. know, as far as that was concerned. So it's like you, you've got a, something going yeah. on that you just can't fathom. And then you're locked in the house where you can't miss it. Right. So it's like, I've got to do something that's healthier. So like you said, let me buy a bike. I can, especially during the summers and the fall, let me ride this bike. Let me get a, a good pair of gym shoes. I can order them. Amazon is delivering in 20 minutes sometimes. <laughs> so I, can, right. I can have the shoes on by the time I get off the phone. So exactly. it's like, do some things. Husbands, learn how to cook. Wives, tell learn the husband to learn how to cook. <laughs> right. Right. You know, do things that you haven't been doing because maybe we've just been doing the same thing too darn long anyway. So take this time to go, okay, we're all locked in here together. You said you didn't like the color of the living room. Here we go. Sherman Williams will bring it, the paint out to me. I'll come back and the whole family, we're going to paint this darn living room right. together. So just things that I think it was time for these things happen. Yes, I think it was time to. We did discover a lot and parents were spending more time with their kids and in family units, you know, even though family units, there's not a perfect one. No. Uh, you know, any family is a perfect family as far as mm -hmm. I'm concerned. And it was just nice to be able to spend more time with them. And I think in families, especially with families with young children, I think a lot more focus was on the actual interaction and a lot less was put on what these children want because since you couldn't go anywhere, buying all these clothes and things uh, began to take a, a back seat. And I think that was part of the problem too. We, we just had our priorities, you know, they were a little off. And that two years gave us a chance to really, as a family and as individuals, look at what wasn't working emotionally and look at why behaviors were so pronounced. And again, just reset and try to take some things and just change the priority of what we're doing. Put people first. And I think whether we realized it or not, I don't think it was intentional because I don't think we would do it intentionally. But I think out of the need and just seeing the problem and attacking it, it happened. Yes, I do too. And we're remembering some things that we had forgotten, you know? A lot of them. Yeah. So, so what do you do to relax after you have helped other people reconnect all day? <laughs> well, I try to watch, um, because during the pandemic, I'm, I was locked in. So I try to watch TV that makes me laugh. So I am a big fan of 70s TV. Ah, so yeah. I will watch the Jeffersons until I can't do it anymore. And I even have two orange chairs in my house because I've watched so much good times in my life. And that was a color that Florida always had on. So I just kind of did a lot of that because it took me outside of myself. And for me, that brought me back to a comfortable place that I understood. And, and, and it just gave me a chance to disconnect, really. But when I go out, I love to travel. I like to take car rides. If you tell me someplace to go that I haven't been and it's not, you know, a million dollars to go, I'll try to go if I think it's something interesting. Because I think as as helping individuals is our profession, you have to help yourself. And part of that is making sure I go someplace sometimes where I'm pampered. So even though it might not be the trip everybody else would take because they might say, well, you know, I don't have to do all that. I'm going to go someplace probably where I'm, I'm weighted on in a different way because I need that myself. You have to kind of know what you need in order to recover and to be your best at what you do. So for those who are listening, and are there any signs that we get in our lives that will let us know that we probably should talk to a professional. As I always say, 
uh, you know, don't don't talk to your broke friends about having money. <laughs> okay, and don't talk to your fat friends about being That's losing weight. Losing weight, right? Uh, I always say that. So, <laughs> so, so what you gonna say now? Don't talk to your friends that might be in the same boat as you about <laughs> your mental health. <laughs> mental health, right? <laughs> Well, I think we're just big amen corners. <laughs> I think but when should somebody see some help? <laughs> I think that really, when you look up, um, and I've heard this time and time again, most people know it. It's just that there's got to be this place where the stigma around it is removed. So you'll already know that you your thoughts are not necessarily the healthiest or the way that you perceive things or people with the process addiction you know if you hear about a person who's been shopping i'm not saying there's so much good stuff out there i hear why people are shopping but if you're shopping to the point where you've got a room that you can't even let people into because you know there are boxes in there that you've yet to open and you can't even justify a need for it. If it's some of it is it doesn't even fit, or it's not even for you. Uh, that's, kinda, an that's, an <laughs> that's an addiction. That's an addiction. So, yeah. so you have to look at what your behavior is, and then you have to see what the impact is on everything else that you're trying to do. I always stress to my clients, you have to have goals. I want you to have a goal beyond me and beyond us sitting in this room. If it's if it's that when you five years from now you want to remodel that bathroom, well, okay, good. Okay, so what are we doing in order to stay on track to do that? Five years from now, you want to change jobs and you want to move to to Arizona. Oh, okay, good. So what are we doing to stay on track so that typically? If I can get you to align on some sort of goal with me where we're communicating about that, I can pull the other things in there because we already know you've been told you're angry. We already know that you're sad. We already know that you're not sexually satisfied. We already know that you're struggling with your finances. We already know that your relationships aren't the best. We already know that your wife is this and your children are that. So when you get to this goal, do you still want all that going along with you? And how much of it can we begin to tackle between now and the time that you want to reach this goal? Okay, so you're right. People do know, okay? Mm -hmm. so, uh, so those of you who are listening for your friends, okay? Just, you know, share it with your friends, all right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> And then sometimes, even when you when you don't know exactly, you don't necessarily feel right. And you will have people that just don't react to you the same way. And you will even have friends that won't come around. And you will have people that will look at you a certain way when you're talking and you can tell that you think you're saying something, you know, you'll hear people go, they just don't understand what I'm trying to say. They don't understand what I'm trying to say. Well, if you've got a bunch of people that just don't understand what you're trying to say, then we need to figure out what are you trying to say and then what are you saying? So it's it's just a combination of just working through the little things that it's just like life. I mean, life gets in the way and life forms a lot of the input that we process. So sometimes it's processed successfully and it comes out and the output is, is doable. And then sometimes there's something about our internal processes that it just doesn't come out the right way. And we need somebody to help us put the information back in, find a different adjustment for the processor. So when it comes out, it's a little bit, it's a little bit closer to what we would like for it to be. It may never be what people would call perfect because i just don't believe in that but i do believe it can be better so whatever you're going through there is a path that we can get on to make the situation better so what should people do in the course of a day to ensure that they stay on a, on a good track emotionally and mentally what are, Good some question. You, what, what are some of the things you would recommend? The th same things that we've been doing since we started tonight. Laughing, 
uh, talking to friends, creating new relationships. If you've been locked up for two, well, in this case, I mean for pandemic. If you've been in your home for two <laughs> years because of the pandemic, um, you should be trying to find new activities, whether it's those painting places where you can go and take a bottle of wine and take a friend, take a neighbor. You guys go and paint something. It doesn't have to look like anything you'd ever put up in the house, but at least you got out and you were in the air. Everybody who can, go for a walk. There's a park not far from you. Go for a walk. If you if you are so inclined and you like animals and you really want to keep the animal, you know, get a dog to keep you company if you're somebody that's been living along. Get a cat, get a bird, get some fish. Get something that it causes you to need to do something. Needing to shake that canister of fish food in the aquarium is a responsibility, and it's also a form of therapy because, believe it or not, the fish are going to entertain you when you look into the fish tank. Try different things with your children. See what they like to do. You know, if, you've, if you haven't done many things with them, get a Frisbee. You don't have to ever catch it. Just throw it and tell them to bring it to you. I don't even try to catch it. It's part of this part. It's part of their college fund. Tell them to bring the frisbee back to you, and then you throw it again. So just make sure that you have something that you're enjoying. Cook. I'm. I, that was the biggest thing I would say. Getting away from trying to eat out and eat at different times. Mm -hmm. Try to get everybody to sit around at the same time. Don't let the worst cook start off first, but try to get everybody around the table so that they're enjoying each other. Talk about something. Start a conversation. Start a conversation about something that makes no sense, but it's just something that makes sure that you're going to get a response. Stand up and tell your whole family you, you were, you're thinking about becoming a ballet dancer. Watch the reaction. Because first, they didn't even know you could dance, and then they're trying to imagine you spinning around on your toe. So do things that may bring joy because sometimes that's what's needed, but also do things for you. Like definitely make sure you're sleeping, drinking enough water, mm -hmm. exercising. That's why going for a walk, having positive relationships, looking at those relationships that probably aren't the healthiest and seeing how can you change them a little bit? Can you improve it? Journaling, having goals, having goals being around people who are doing something, you know, try to remove some negativity if you can. Mm -hmm. If you've got some, you know, you can't get rid of all of it, but try to reduce it some. But the healthy options are the better options and try to do them as much as you can. Wow, that was fantastic. I want to thank you for spending this time with me and the audience. Thank you. You for talking about a subject and making it easy to talk about so that we can reach others because sometimes people think there's such a stigma to it. But I happen to believe that everybody needs some mental health counseling. Everybody, I agree. healthy people. Okay. I agree. Because we always have something, we're always growing and changing and evolving. There's always something we need to work on. And so, sometimes you just need to tell somebody what you're thinking one time right. and then see where it goes from there. That's true. That's true. And then sometimes you want to share something you don't want to hear again. So you need to say that too. Okay. So, so, and you don't ever need to say again. That's true. You need a counsel for that because I always believe that the more you talk about it with somebody who's skilled and trained to handle the conversation, the more you get air on it, the more you get light on it. Yes. The easier it is to actually heal it because sometimes we keep it so close that we think it's impossible to heal and it is not impossible. It's not. And sometimes we try to keep it under this band-aid where we're not letting it breathe or let it see light and you think that it's getting better and it's not. And the minute you expose it and you get it out there and some things you can normalize and once you get them to this place where you can talk about it, mm -hmm. the change can begin. That's right. So we are out of time. We're at the end of our show. So thank you, Philip, for joining me again. Oh, and as oh, anytime. As I, and I will have you back. I'm going to hold you to that because I like thank to talk you. about subjects that actually help people make meaningful changes in their life because I believe 
that we're here to make a difference, not only in our lives, but in other people's lives. I agree. So as I always close with, may this day offer you just what you need in each unfolding moment. I want you to do not go gently into that good night. I want you to find a heal worth dying and take it. Be the person that you have been waiting for. Make today so awesome that yesterday gets jealous. And above all else, I want you to do it your way. I'm Stephanie Wilson Coleman, the empowerment doctor, and life is too short to drink cheap champagne. Damn. That's right. You guys have a great day. Until next time, do it big. <laughs> Bye now. Greetings, I'm Stephanie Wilson Coleman, the Empowerment Doctor, and today I want to encourage you to dream big. Decide what you're going to accomplish today. And remember, you are powerful and creative, so get it done. Every obstacle presents an opportunity, so don't shy away or shrink when you see obstacles. Always keep your focus on your goal and make a plan. Believe in goodness. Believe in the goodness that surrounds you, whether you see it or not, because I assure you that it is there. With those tips, I want you to go ahead and make it a great day. To drink cheap champagne So I decided to buy me A better brand And today's with my